As you settle in, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have had someone at one time in your life meet you where you are to lead you to Jesus? How many of you had a person like that in your life meet you where you are, lead you to Jesus? How many of you had someone in your life take God's word and just pour into you and disciple you? Anybody have somebody like that? I know I do. Now let me ask you this. How thankful are you for that person? How thankful are you for how God equipped them to meet you where you are, to lead you to Christ, and to pour into you so that you might grow in godliness? Now let me ask you this. Why would you not want that for someone else? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we want that for others? Well, that's what Josiah and David have been training to do. And they have had to go through some intense training because there's a lot more challenges when you step overseas, when you, when you move cross-culturally where there's a language barrier and cultural barriers and, and, and barriers in climate and location. And so super excited about them coming uh, to share about the work that they're going to be doing, the work God has been equipping them to do. And he's going to share about some of those challenges today and, and how we can be praying. So I pray that, that you are uh, attentive and that God just truly uh, opens our eyes to how we can be uh, praying for that work. So at this time, I'm going to have uh, Josiah come. David's going to share in just a moment and uh, um, how we can be praying for you guys. I also want to encourage you to uh, be sure and stop by the table in the, the, the foyer before you leave. They have these uh, cards that they have provided. Take, take one of each so that you can know, uh, read these and know how you can be praying. Put them in a place where you land each and every day, whether it's at your desk or, or near your bed at night, so that you can take those and, and be, be praying for those. I believe there's a bookmark as well, which is great. But use that to mark your Bible because you're to be reading that on a daily basis. And when you see their uh, picture, you'll be reminded to pray. So join me in welcoming Josiah. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you guys this morning. And uh, back in Jacksonville, it's, it's, I don't get to Texas near as often as I used to. But when I do, it's always exciting to come share with you guys and give you an update on where I'm at in this journey of of going overseas. And so that's what I want to do this morning, just give you a little update of what I've been up to since the last time I was here, because a lot's happened, and just kind of show you where I'm hoping to go and some of the, of the things that I'll be doing. And so last time I was here, I was here last June, and since then, I have finished my missionary training. That's what I was doing. I was in missionary training with Ethnos 360, and my goal is to be a church planning missionary among an unreached people group. And so I had to go through this special training that they, they do. It's a two and a half year training. And I finished that up in December. So that's exciting. And I, in December, I finished a linguistics course. And it was quite challenging. I think I was shared about that last time I was here. Learning how to learn language. And so now I'm a linguist, whatever that means. <laughs> I guess I'm, I can learn a language, but we'll see. That's, that's definitely one of the challenges. But... I finished my mission training in December, and since then I have been involved in serving full-time with the mission organization I'm with. 
and I've been doing mobilization, which is pretty much just getting more people recruited, more people involved in, in this task of reaching unreached people groups. And so a lot of it, especially is with youth groups and college-age students, people who are looking to see what they want to do with their lives. And so I'm trying to encourage them to consider being a part of reaching the unreached. And so that's what I've been doing since December, and I'm still involved in that ministry as I prepare to go overseas myself. And so I'm really excited about that and excited to see the team that God's been building because I'm also involved in what the mission calls partnership development or building my team that's on this side of in the States that's supporting me financially and through prayers and just lifting me up um, to go overseas. So that's a part of my team, and I've been working on building that up. So since January, I think I've traveled about 10,000 miles all over the country in New York, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Alabama, now Texas. So lots of driving, lots of sharing, but it's always exciting to see, uh, to share with people what God's been doing in my life and how he's been uh, leading and what the needs are around the world. And so uh, as I continue with that, building that team, I see you guys as part of that team. You guys are a big part of my team. And through your prayers and just uh, your involvement in my life, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And uh, this morning, um, I wanted to introduce you guys to another part of the team that God's been putting together. Uh, and that's the, the team that's going to go, go over to Nepal, uh, hopefully. And that's where I'm planning on going. And I'm moving that way and building a team to go over there. And I have my friend David with me here today. He went through the training with me. We met there at the missionary training. And he's here, and we're planning on partnering together to go serve over there. So I wanted you guys as part of my team to meet him as part of my team as well and, and just hear a little bit about his story and where he came from and kind of how God's been leading us to work together. So I'm going to have David come up and just share a little bit uh, about himself. Like he said, uh, my name is David Camacho. I am a missionary kid from Paraguay, South America. Um, before I get into too much of that, I was just thinking, sitting there, uh, we were singing how, um, like, just about how great our God is, right? Um, how great thou art. And as I was sitting there thinking about it, as, like it mentions, like, the mountains and stuff like that, and we're going to Nepal, like, just thinking about the Himalayan mountains, and I don't know if I've ever felt as small as being over in Nepal and, like, standing at the base of a mountain and even just being around, like, the 10, 12,000-foot mountains. You feel, you feel so small, even though they refer to those as hills. Um, but just thinking of that, like, man, guys, God spoke that into creation. Like, he literally just spoke, and it came to be. What an incredible, amazing God we serve. So I just thought, I, I just wanted to say that, or else I, my mind would have been elsewhere the whole time. So, um, But yeah, just, just consider that, guys. Man, we serve an amazing, incredible God who can speak mountains into existence. And here we are. He loves us. He cares about us, even with how great he is and how, how great we're not. But I, I was just thinking about that. Anyways, so me and Josiah met at the training center. Uh, we were next door neighbors. I was a missionary kid from Paraguay. He's a missionary kid from Mexico. We were both interested in Nepal. So it's just kind of cool how that all worked out together. Um, but I'll just share a little bit about my, my past and um, 
yeah, a little bit about Paraguay and the tribe I grew up in. But as you can see, Paraguay is right here. Uh, they call it the heart of South America. Um, they're very proud of that. Um, this is my family, my older sister Rachel and Leah. They're both missionaries um, with Ethnos 360, which used to be New Tribes Mission as well. Um, and then I have a bunch of nieces and nephews, and there's my sister Becca and my mom. My dad passed away a couple years after coming off the field. Um, but yeah, they're serving. Uh, Rachel's serving in Colombia. Leah's serving in Paraguay with their spouses and all of their children. Um, but yeah, this is, this is just a few pictures of, of where I grew up. It's very hot. Um, I think you guys are kind of, you know a little bit about the heat here. <laughs> I, was, I was excited to be here. Uh, I really, I don't like anything much under 90 degrees. Give me like 90s and above. If it's 100 degrees, I am so happy. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it honestly wasn't uncommon for it to get into like 120, 130 range. Um, I've seen it 140 for a week or so. So like I can relate a little bit to the heat, you know? Like this is great. Um, this is the rainy season. Um, yeah, difficult is trout, or just, it's really hard. Um, from the tribe that I was in, it was generally seven, eight hours. If the roads were bad, you might not be able to get in and out. Um, yeah, I, I remember spending maybe 24 hours on the road, just kind of stuck, and then you pry your way out and you get stuck again and all. Um, this is the group that my parents worked with, though, the Monhui tribe. I actually have a Monhui New Testament on the table in the back there, if you guys want to check that out later. This is their Bible dedication. They have some church leaders and stuff like that there. Um, they have elders, deacons, uh, missionaries even that reach out to other tribes. Um, so yeah, the work there is, is pretty much done. They have a church that's maturing and growing and they really don't need an outside missionary presence there to, yeah, they're, they're doing it on their own. So that was pretty cool. But this is the, this was my life growing up out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, when missionaries first went in, they were, um, they were dominated by just fear of the spirits, fear of um, ancestors. Um, I guess they would, they would refer to them as their an ancestors, but I guess you would just call them like malicious spirit beings that just kind of kept them in fear, kept them in bondage. Um, and that was that was just life growing up in that type of culture and um, so yeah just now seeing that a, a church is born that they have believers not everyone in the tribe is a believer a lot of them um, after teaching and stuff like that they decided you know what this isn't for us we're going back to the old ways but there is a healthy church there now so just being able to grow up in that type of culture was was pretty amazing and and Josiah is going to share more about cultures and languages and different challenges that we as missionaries have to work through. Um, and if you guys want to ask questions later on about cultural aspects of the tribe and stuff like that, you're welcome to do so. But yeah, so that's just a little bit about me, and Josiah is going to share more. All right. Well, 
like he said, we, we've been working together for a while and hoping to go overseas together. But before we go, or as we're preparing to go, we're both involved in the same ministry of mobilization with the organization. And so with that, we're, we travel some to speak in different groups or speak to youth groups and just try to encourage people to, uh, like I said, get involved in this task. And so something that we've been using recently and that really honestly initially challenged me to get involved in this ministry is this list. So I'm going to share this list with you guys today. This list is a list that has all the remaining unreached people groups on it. It has the remaining unreached people groups of the world who still have no access to the gospel. No one from this list has heard the gospel. Um, they have no Bibles in their language. They have no missionaries going to share with them. There's no churches, no ministries, nothing. And it's just a visual representation of how much work there still is to do. How many people groups all around the world still have no access to the gospel? And our desire, me and David, our desire is to go to one of these groups. And what we want to see is a thriving church planted. A thriving church like this church. This is a thriving church that has leaders, that has... Um, discipleship ministry, you guys are training the young people and all these different things that make a thriving church, a maturing church. But in these places, there's nothing like that. And so our desire is to go, and to go in for the long, the long haul, so that we can see a church like this church planted among one of those people groups. And that's the vision, that's the goal. Um, but with that, to do that, to go to one of these people groups, there's lots of challenges. And this morning, I want to just share a few of those challenges with you guys just so you can kind of get a picture into what our ministry will look like, what some of the difficult things will be, and then also so you guys can be praying for us in those things. And so that's what I want to do this morning. And I do have a, a list, a picture here that just kind of represents this list as well. And it just kind of shows kind of where all these people groups are located. And of course, a lot of them are concentrated in that part of the, in Asia, India, Asia, um, that area. And me and David are hoping to go to Nepal, like I said, uh, just where there's a lot of those groups. I think 200 unreached people groups in Nepal itself. And so uh, that's where we're, we're hoping to go. And so this morning, three challenges I want to share with you guys of going to one of these people groups. And these challenges are specific to our ministry in Nepal, but they're very similar to the challenges that anyone would face going to any of these groups. And the first one is location. Okay, so most of the groups on this list live in remote areas. Some of them are starting to move to cities, but for the most part, a lot of them live in pretty remote locations. And so it takes people who are willing to go and live outside of what might be comfortable civilization, uh, just so that they can live with the people, they can learn their language and their culture, and they can eventually get a chance to share the gospel with them. And that's a huge challenge because sometimes you have to hike out to these places, sometimes you have to take a helicopter in because there's no roads. If there are roads, like where David grew up, it's like a seven, eight hour trip if the roads are even drivable. So uh, location is a huge thing. And that'll, that's the same thing in Nepal. I don't know if any of you have been to Nepal or uh, know much about it, but Nepal has the Himalayas running through it, the Himalayan mountains. And there's eight of the 10 tallest mountains are in this country. And so you can just imagine this, the country's about the size of the state of Florida. And so to think all these mountains going through it, there's people out in all, just in little valleys and up on mountaintops all over throughout this country. 
and it's not easy travel. <laughs> There's not a lot of good roads. Any roads that there are, super curvy and dangerous, and it's, it's not easy to get out to some of these places. And when we were there, I, I went there a couple years ago to Nepal, and we were told that once you get to the end of the road, there's some people, some people groups that live a two-week hike from the end of the road, and there's no other way to get there. You have to hike. So it just shows what a huge challenge location can be with reaching these unreached people groups. So location, that's a huge one you guys can be praying about, that God would lead us to the right location and give us whatever we need to be able to sustain ourselves in that location to reach the people. The second thing, the second challenge is a platform. And this challenge uh, has some interesting complexities to it. But uh, basically, what we mean by platform is a way of getting in the country. Because a lot of the groups on this list live in countries where it's not legal to be a missionary, or maybe not even legal to be a Christian. And so what missionaries have to do, if we're going to go reach them, we have to find ways to legally be in the country that are legitimate, because obviously we want to be there in a legitimate way, do what we're saying we're doing, uh, but also gives us a chance to share with people. And so that might look like someone has a business that they go and they take to another country, and they have the business in that country, and they're doing that, but then as they get the opportunity, they can share with either the people that are working for them or neighbors. Um, some people get jobs in other countries and do that, or teach English. There's all kinds of different ideas for plat what we call platforms in some of these locations. And that's the case in Nepal for us. We're going to have to figure out a platform because in Nepal, it's not legal to be a missionary. They, do not, they don't allow proselytizing or conversion in Nepal. And so, but we know that God has called us to reach those people, and so we want to do that, but we also need to find a way to be there legally. And so we're kind of looking at a couple options right now of either like teaching English or being a student or doing some type of research, something like that. And me and David are actually going into Paul in a couple weeks to figure some of that stuff out. We're going to be over there for a few weeks um, visiting with people and just trying to figure out what our platform could be, what we need to do now so that we can get over there and be there long term to see the kind of ministry that we want to we have. So platform, you guys can really be playing, praying about that one, especially in the next couple weeks as we go to Nepal, that God will give us just direction and, and how you'd have us do that and where that could get us, because that ties into location as well. What platform we have determines what location we can be in. And then the third one, this is one that I'm going to spend a little more time on because it's very deep and it's a very important aspect um, of doing church planning among unreached people groups, and that's culture. You guys all know that cultures are different, right? And I know here in the States we have people from all over the world coming to our country, and our cultures are, well, in some ways it's mixing. We have kind of this melting pot, people from all over the world, but we also get to see a lot of that. We get to see people from other countries and see how they're different. And culture isn't just the things that people eat that are different, or the clothes that they wear, or their traditions that they have. Culture can go way deeper than that. It can go super deep, and that's what we're going to have to figure out. That's why it's a challenge, because we want to figure out the super deep aspects of culture. And that would be like people's worldview, how they view the world, world around them, what their deepest values are, what their deepest desires are. And so culture is something that is going to be a huge challenge because we're going to have to go figure that out. You know, in a lot of these places, there's no books written about their culture. No one's ever gone in to figure this stuff out. And so we're going to have to go figure it out on our own and figure out how they think and what 
uh, how they, what they believe and what, how their religion ties into all that so that we can clearly present the gospel because that's the ultimate goal, is presenting the gospel to these people. But it's going to take us having a clear understanding of how they already think so that we can present it in a clear way that makes sense to them. And so I'm going to share with you guys a little bit about what that might look like, what it might look like for us to have to go in and study and learn some of those things. And so this morning I'm going to share with you guys three different uh, cultural types that have been found. As anthropologists or and missiologists or people who study missions have studied different cultures around the world, they have th- seen like three different threads that tend to pop up in cultures that kind of make them similar, three different types. And so I'm going to kind of share each of those types with you guys and then show how the gospel, how, how amazing the gospel is, that it, it um, really speaks to each of those different cultural types and how we're going to have to figure out what cultural type one of these people groups is, whatever one we end up going to, uh, what that will be. And so I'm going to share a little bit with, with you guys about that. So the three cultural types. The first one I want to share about is the guilt-innocence cultures, Okay. And with each of these cultural types, there's going to be something that they value the most that we're looking for and something that they shun or avoid the most. It's something they don't want. Okay? So with each of these, I'm going to share those two things. And with the guilt-innocence cultural type, the thing that the culture values the most is innocence, okay? being innocent, and ruling themselves or the freedom that they have. Freedom, self-rule is what they're really looking for. Okay? And then the thing that they avoid the most or that they don't want is the guilt. Guilt from doing wrong, guilt from whatever it is. They're avoiding guilt. And they're, the only way they can avoid guilt is by avoiding judgment. Okay? So those are kind of two things that these, this culture really gravitates towards. And so a lot of these cultures that are this type have a lot of laws. They have a lot of rules that are supposed to be followed. They have a big a justice system. And when you think about it, that's what our culture is like a lot. We would be considered a guilt-innocence culture, right? Um, I mean, our culture was founded on the whole idea of ruling ourselves, right? We didn't want to be ruled by the British, so we, we decided we would rule ourselves. And then we came up with a huge legal system, a huge system with laws and with all these different balances because we wanted to be free from guilt. We wanted to be innocent, and we wanted to avoid judgment. So we have all these laws. And in this country, as long as you follow the laws and you do the right things, then you're innocent, right? But if you do something wrong, then you, you, you have to go through the legal system and they declare whether you're guin- or innocent or guilty. And you just you see all these things in our culture that kind of line up with this, this way of thinking of this guilt-innocence uh, culture. So we would be considered a guilt-innocence culture because... Some of our deepest um, desires is to be innocent, to continue to follow the the rules, and to avoid being guilty, okay? So that's the first one that I want to share. The second one that you see in a lot of places around the world is what people call the honor-shame cultures, okay? And these cultures, the thing that they value the most is honor. And honor is something that's gained through the community and through the family, and that's what they're seeking. So... Honor is something that, you know, you, you stay within the community, you stay within your family, you're accepted, you're a part of it, and that brings tremendous honor. Honor comes through who you are, who you're associated with. It's all about the relationships. And a lot of these cultures are hugely relational uh, cultures. That's what it's about, is the community. And I know for some of you, I don't know if you're going to the, on the trip to Costa Rica, 
but Costa Rica would be a hugely honor-shame culture because it's all about the community. It's all about relationships and the family, and that's how it was in Mexico, where I grew up. Uh, Mexico's also very much honor-shame, and I've realized that I've even picked up a lot of thinking of honor-shame, of seeing the family and the community being super important, and honor comes through, through that. But what these cultures avoid the most, or what they don't want, is shame. And shame can come through doing something wrong within the family or the community that they look down upon you for doing that, or you do something wrong and it makes the family look bad. Or if you do something really bad and the family excludes you from the group, that brings the most shame if you're excluded from the group. And you can even imagine, like, in a lot of these countries, even in Mexico where my parents worked, if someone became a believer, a lot of times the family would reject them they would be excluded from the family. And that was super difficult for them because the family was everything. That's where they found a lot of their honor was through their family, and that brought shame to them that they, their family excluded them. And that brought shame to the family that someone from their family would become a believer. And so you can just see how all this stuff is so interconnected in the way people think. But they really value honor, and they really try to avoid shame. That's a huge part of these cultures. So that's the second one, the honor-shame cultures. The third one that tends to be seen around the world is the fear-power cultures, okay? And what these people are really seeking is power. They're looking for power over the different forces or influence that are, influences that are on their lives. And a lot of that would be like spiritual, what they see as spiritual forces or the spirits. So like what David was sharing about with the Manhui people, the way they were before, they would have been considered a fear-power culture because what they were seeking was power in order to manipulate the spirits uh, to do what they wanted them to do. And what they, what they avoid the most or what they shun the most would be fear and death, ultimately death, fear of death. Uh, they don't want that. They don't want to have fear. But they end up living in fear because they're trying to get this power over the spiritual world and the different influences on their lives. And so a lot of the tribal cultures around the world would be considered fear power cultures. And they're very animistic, and they have lots of rituals that they perform to make sure that they're able to have the power over the spiritual forces. And so that's a huge thing as well, especially with a lot of these people groups. Many of them would be considered fear power people groups. That's what their, their greatest desire is to have power, and their greatest, uh, the thing they're avoiding the most is fear and death. That's what they want to avoid. And so those are the kind of the three cultural threads, uh, the three cultural types that are seen around the world. And each culture honestly has a mix of all of them. We all have all of them. Like even here in our culture, we are predominantly a guilt-innocence culture, but we have aspects of honor-shame, we have aspects of fear of power even. We all have all of these, but certain cultures tend to gravitate more towards one than the other. Um, and it's kind of interesting uh, when you look at all of these, as anthropologists and missiologists have kind of termed each of these by the thing people value the most or shun the most, the thing they're avoiding the most, the three things they're avoiding the most, so guilt, um, shame, and fear, we see those three things in the Genesis story. When you look at Genesis and you look at when Adam and Eve sinned, and the results and the consequences that sin brought, you see a lot of these things, which is, it's super interesting. Um, 
So yeah, like in the, in the Genesis story, so Adam and Eve sinned, and then after sin, God pronounced judgment on them, and they became guilty lawbreakers, losing their innocence. Okay, they, be, they sinned, and then they were guilty. They were guilty of that sin, and God brought judgment on them. And then, in seeking their own honor, Adam and Eve felt the shame of their nakedness. You know, when, when they sinned, then they realized they were naked, and that brought a lot of shame. And not only that, afterwards, God brought the greatest shame by banishing them from the garden. They were no longer a part of God's, um, God's presence. That relationship that they had with God was broken, and that brought tremendous shame on them. Okay? They no longer had the honor that they had before um, of that relationship they had with God. And then also, Adam and Eve also sought to be like God and gain power by eating the fruit. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil, and they thought that would bring them, make them like God, bring them power. But instead, they became fearful and hid from God. You remember that. When God came into the garden, they hid because they were afraid. The sin, and their sin brought enslavement to the power of death. Okay, now they, the power, there was, they had the power of sin and the power of death was over them. And so it's amazing to see that those three things you really see in the Genesis story, those were the results of sin. And yet as history has gone on and cultures have developed and have changed and have grown, um, they tend to gravitate towards one of those things more than the other. And that's the thing that they're trying to avoid the most in their lives is one of those three consequences of sin. Um, and obviously, we all have all of them, but cultures gravitate towards one more than the other, and that drives a lot of their thinking, a lot of their culture. The outside stuff that you see in culture, if you dig down deep, you're going to find some of these things deep down, and that's why they're doing it. And so the question then is, why does all this matter? Why does this present a challenge? And the reality is, when you're going to go share the gospel with people from a different, one of these other worldviews, what they're going to really, what's going to resonate with them from the gospel might be slightly different from what really resonates about the gospel for you. And it's really cool to see because uh, the gospel really is like, there's so much to it. It's, it's such an amazing truth. And it's almost like a diamond. Like if you take a diamond and you turn it a little bit, you can kind of see a different perspective or a different side of it. And the gospel is like that. Like, for some people, they see one side, and it really resonates them, for them. But for some of the people group on this list, you'd have to turn it a little bit, and something else about that would really resonate with them because they're either uh, honor, shame, or fear, power, or guilt, innocence, one of these different things. And so it's really cool to see that the gospel is really good news for all cultures. And so I just want to share a few things with you guys about the gospel uh, that really would resonate with each of these groups. And so for us, for the guilt-innocence cultures, for the guilty who say, I will rule myself and avoid judgment, the gospel says, I have paid the just penalty. I forgive your guilt. I am your shepherd and king. Okay? Listen to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It says, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that such an amazing truth for us? We really resonate with that, and a lot of our gospel presentations have to do with that. You know, we talk about how sin has made us guilty, but how Christ came and he took away, he took the penalty for us that we deserved, and he made us, he justified us. We talk a lot about justification, and we talk a lot about what Christ has done for us to take away our guilt and to make us innocent before him. And that's so true, and that's a huge part of our culture, so that's why we present it that way so much. 
We focus on that a lot. But then for the, like the honor-shame people groups, or they don't focus so much on that. For them, it's more about the broken relationship and that brought how much shame that brought. And so for them, for the shamed and banished, the gospel says, I bore your shame. Let me cover you in a robe of my righteousness. Come be a part of my family. And so like just the shame that the nakedness brought with Adam and Eve, God's now clothed us with his righteousness. And then the exclusion that that brought and the shame that that brought when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, God's now invited us to come back and be a part of his family. And the tremendous honor that that is, that's a huge honor. Just think about that. Like, we are now called children of God. And just think what, how much honor that brings to us, that we are called children of God. And for an honor-shame culture, that's a huge truth. To them, like, wow, that shame that my sin nature brought and the exclusion and that relate, broken relationship, it's now fixed. And we have huge honor now because what Christ did for us. So also listen, listen in Colossians 1, going back a, a chapter. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That's Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And so you just see the huge truth that, that, would, that the gospel is to these honor-shame peoples. But then think about the fear power as well. The fear power cultures who are so afraid of the evil spirits and, the, and, the, and death and all these different things. Um, to the fearful and enslaved, the gospel says, I have broken the power of Satan and sin and set their prisoners free. Live under my authority and protection for this life and eternity. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so that's huge truth for them as well. Like Christ came and what he did for us on the cross, he broke the power of sin. He broke the power of death. And now for those of us who have believed in him, we don't have to fear death because we know where we're going. We don't have to fear the evil spirits. We don't have to fear what Satan can do for us because Christ has come and he has broken that power for those who believe in him. And so it's such huge truth for all these different cultures and all the different uh, things that they're really seeking life or really avoiding. The gospel answers that. And it answers it for... It, all these things are true for all of us. But it's just really amazing how um, as, as cultures have developed, the gospel can penetrate the hearts of anyone in any culture. And that's the good news that we want to take to people. That's what we want to figure out. We, and it's gonna, that's why it's going to take a long time. That's why it's a challenge, because we have to figure out these deep things um, so that we can clearly present the gospel in a way with, that will make sense with them. So if we're going to an honor-shame place, we might focus more on the relationship that's restored through our relationship with Christ and the righteousness that Christ brings to us. If you go to a fear-power place, you might focus more on what Christ did in breaking the power of sin and the power of death. And obviously we talk about all of it, but those things really resonate with the people and it really comes to life for them. And so that's what we want to do. That's our desire. And it's going to take a long time. It's, it's not just instantly we get there and we can share this because to figure this stuff out, it takes a while to get really deep. 
Um, but that's going to help us be able to be more clear and be able to present the gospel in um, just, just a better way, a better, more, more understandable to the people. And so you guys can be praying for us with this. Pray for us in these challenges. Um, as we go to Nepal and as we are confronted with these challenges, you can be praying that God will lead us to the right location, um, that he'll open the door to that location, that he'll provide a platform for us, because that's going to be a huge part for us to be able to stay there long term and see a thriving church planted. It's going to take years and years, so that's going to require a platform. And then also for culture, as we navigate that, not just the language, but the culture and how people think and how to write Bible lessons that are really going to resonate with the people. Um, that's going to be a huge challenge. So you can be praying for us with that. And we know we're weak. Um, there's no way I can do this, this task on my own. Um, it's definitely not about me. But I'm trusting that God will use me and use David and use the team as we all work together. Uh, you guys as well, part of that team, as we all work together to bring the gospel to hopefully even just one of the people groups on this list. And there's still tons to do. But uh, how, what an amazing thing it would be if we all work together and get to see one of the groups on this list in heaven singing uh, before the throne just because um, Christ is worthy of that. And so that's what we're trusting God for. And I, I also just want to challenge you guys as well. If, as you uh, just look at your area of influence, wherever you're at, what are the challenges that are facing you in reaching out with the gospel to the people around you? Can you identify those challenges? And then when you do identify those challenges, can you bring those to God and just trust God with those? Because there are going to be challenges. No matter where you're at, no matter where you live, here in Jacksonville or in Nepal or wherever else, there's going to be challenges and barriers to, to presenting the gospel. But we can trust God with those. We can trust God that even in our weaknesses that he'll use us to uh, reach people with the truth. And so I want to encourage you with that. Continue to trust God. Continue to bring those challenges to him and allow him to use you in that. And then also, just a reminder that there's people from this list moving right here to Texas, moving to Jacksonville. They're moving right in next door to you. People from this list are moving to your neighborhoods, and they're working alongside of you. And what a huge opportunity we have. Even here, we don't even have to, um, sometimes you don't even have to leave your neighborhood, and you could be reaching someone from this list, or from other countries, wherever they're from. Um, but it's a huge opportunity, and I want to encourage you to not just um, uh, not just quickly share um, the gospel as quick as you can, but even take the time beforehand to get to know them. Get, take the time to know how they think so you know how to really clearly present the gospel to them in a clear way that's really going to resonate with them. And it's a, it can be a huge privilege to get to know another perspective, another way of thinking, and it can even help you just see how beautiful the gospel is in a whole other light, in a whole other dimension um, just by getting to know someone. So I encourage you to do that. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know the international uh, people that are around you and get to know how they think. And then share the gospel with them. Be uh, diligent in just building that relationship and getting the chance to share. And I just encourage you guys with that because we have a huge opportunity in this country as people from this list are coming to us. And um, I hope that together as a church, you guys and us, we can be a part of reaching them. So I want to encourage you with that, and thank you so much for being a part of my ministry, and I'm really grateful for that, grateful for you guys, and I'll just close this in prayer.